Good morning, church. About a year ago, I was sitting in my hotel room in Atlanta, Georgia. I was shaking my head, and I was saying, what am I doing here? I just came back from the first day of a negotiation training session, a week-long negotiation training session. I had been to many training seminars in my business life, but this one by far was the most interesting one I've ever participated in. The trainer started off meeting by tossing assignment module, almost flipping it at me with a look of disgust on his face. He proceeded to tell each of us in the class that no matter what past training we had, we were trained incorrectly. That's why our companies had sent us there. And he said, we probably cost our companies a ton of money over the years. Then he stared right at me. He said, he always knew one person in the group would wash out. And that typically was the oldest in the group because they thought they knew better than him. Well, I looked around, that was me. <laughs> Everybody was probably in their mid-30s or younger. The trainer then proceeded to tell us that the training would be boot camp style and there are only winners in negotiation. The rest are losers. And the goal of negotiation was not only to win, but to win big and make sure the other side lost bigger. Take all you can while you can, leave no prisoners. I have to tell you, that day, those young professionals mopped the floor with me on negotiation training. See, they bought into that training that day. I was still trying to figure out what just happened. I was training the old school way of win-win negotiation, where all parties come away with something gained. It made me think how so much has changed regarding how we approach each other today. As I sat in my room licking my wounds from that first day, a scripture kept popping into my head. It was from Romans 12, 2. And you, this will be familiar to this from where Paul is telling us, do not conform to the pattern of the world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. In that chapter, what Paul's telling us is to be holy, pleasing to God. Be sober. Don't think more of yourself. Show mercy. Love one another. Don't pay bad with bad. Pay with goodness. Don't conform to the world. You know, it reminds me of something as simple as when Nancy and I, that's my wife, Nancy and I, are leaving our neighborhood in our vehicle, where I might depart that street the same way each day, Nancy has another way that's a better way. And for some reason, my way is the wrong way. But let's not jump on Nancy, because on that same trip, she's taking the time to program in her app how we're going to get to our destination. And I proclaim without any sensitivity that I know a better way. We don't need no stinking Google map. Because I've studied the map beforehand, and I'll get us there since I'm the master of discovering new ways to travel. And soon, we're exiting the wrong street. You know, something as simple as a trip to the grocery store across town can quickly escalate into a disagreement where things are set out of frustration, where my way is better than your way. Have you been there? You know, I wonder, is that all influ influenced by who we really are, or is it by what we see or how we see others do things? I just don't know. But I know for me, maybe I need to learn that before I speak with my mouth, I need to contemplate with my mind 
need to meditate with my heart and open my spirit to guidance. And then maybe, just maybe, I might be able to speak with humility. I really love what James has to say about that misuse of our mouth. And you heard it a few weeks ago from Pastor Deborah. And he talks about taming the tongue. He says the tongue is a small part of the body, yet it can spark a huge issue with a few ill-timed words. And no human can tame the tongue. And I love the way he describes it in James chapter 3, verse 9. He says, with the tongue, we praise our Lord and Father, and with it we curse human beings who've been made in God's likeness. Out of the same mouth come praising and cursing. My brothers and sisters, this should not be, just should not be. My name is Kenny. For those of you who don't know me, it's my pleasure to be here with my church this morning. You know, Jesus spent the better part of his life teaching his disciples the virtue of humility. The dictionary says that humility is a modest or low view of one's importance and to be free of pride or arrogance. But I like the way John the Baptist defined humility. If you remember, he was baptizing people along the countryside and he was being sought out as the next Messiah. He promptly told the people that he who comes before him, which is actually here now, and whose sandals he's not even worthy to untie. Of course, he was speaking of Jesus Christ. And a familiar scripture that captures the essence of humility comes from the book of John, chapter 3, verse 30. He must become greater, I must become less. And I really find thought-provoking how C.S. Lewis describes humility. He says humility is not thinking less of yourself, but in fact it's thinking of yourself less. That made me think that our humility doesn't earn the grace of God. Humility merely puts us in a position to receive the grace that God freely gives. So how do we make God greater? Let's focus on the greatest commandment. In Matthew 22, 34 through 40, we know this scripture. This is where Jesus silenced the Sadducees and the Pharisees want to catch him, and they ask him this question, teacher, which is the greatest commandment? In the law. And Jesus replied, Love your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. It's the first and greatest commandment. And the second, he says, Love your neighbor. And he says, All the law and prophets hang on those two commandments. I was recently given a book by a good friend by Stephen Harper. It's called The Five Marks of Methodist. I recommend you read that. It's based on the writings and teachings of John Wesley's book, Character of a Methodist. And one of those five marks is that a Methodist loves God. That in order to truly love God, we must set aside our egos, and God's love begins to permeate our hearts through the Holy Spirit. That's that agape love he spoke about. That's unconditional and unending for each of us. You know, the distance between your brain and your heart is about 16 inches. Yet sometimes it takes years or a lifetime for the words we read and study eventually to flow into our hearts. Yet if we could take what we learn in our mind and we study and let it marinate in our heart as passion, we'll see not only our lives transform, but those around us. And those words we read in the Bible, they become the leap off the pages into action that changes and transforms lives. Just as God had always intended in the way James so appropriately said it in the Book of James, chapter 1, verse 22. Be doers of the word, not just hearers of the word, 
and if I could add, not just readers of the word. So I offer before we truly can speak with humility, we must learn to think with humility. Open up our mind to receive what God says is humility and lead with the wisdom of God. So how do I think with humility? Well, perhaps I need to start with avoiding a common ailment that afflicts me, and I'm not sure if it afflicts you, but it's called inflammation of the judgment joint. This is when we believe we are God is when he reminds us that we're not. This is where I begin to judge people. And when I judge people, I don't accept God's grace in them. I don't value them. I don't value their beliefs or their convictions. And I indict that person without getting to know them. And I think I'm better than them. I'm going to go back to James, what he says about that. In the book of James, chapter 4, verse 11, he says, Brothers and sisters, do not slander one another. Anyone who speaks against a brother or sister or judges them speaks against the law and judges it. And when you judge that law, you're not keeping it, but you're actually sitting in judgment of it. There's only one lawgiver and judge, the one who's able to save and destroy. But you, who are you to judge your neighbor? So I offer a remedy for that ailment called inflammation of the judgment joint, several remedies. Maybe I need to judge, stop judging people. Maybe I can start with judging them less. How about we go there? Especially in our own church, in our own body of Christ. Be open and respectful to others. Try to see it from that person's viewpoint. Not saying to change your values, your convictions, your beliefs, because that's how God made you. But maybe just listen. You know, I belong to several small groups with varying degrees of diversity and thought inside and outside my church. But I believe God speaks through them, and I gain from sharing and discussion with them. But I need to practice listen, listen, listen. So now let's talk about how do we think of ourselves less. Let's focus on that second commandment. In Matthew 22, it goes to 39. We talked about love your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. Now the second is love your neighbor as yourself. From that same book, Five Marks of a Methodist, it's based on John Wesley's book, one of those five marks says that a Methodist loves others. That in order to love others, we might need to lower the walls of our identity just enough, not necessarily eliminate valid differences, but more importantly, not to let those differences become barriers to diminish our witness. Thank you. I like to call that finding common ground first. See, because if we go in with this popular saying is we're just going to agree to disagree, we've set the bar of expectations so low, it doesn't matter what happens. But if we take the high ground, the common ground, I love the way Jesus shared humility in parables. And one of my favorites is Luke 14. This will be familiar to you if you remember. He says, this is where he tells us that it's inappropriate to take a seat of honor as an invited guest, but take the lowest seat, which will show the host that you're honoring them. For when the host sees that, they'll move you to a more prominent place. And he ends it in 14.11 where he says, For everyone who exalts himself shall be humbled, and he who humbles himself shall be exalted. We may miss out on grace if we suffer from this next common ailment that I suffer from. It's called been there, done that-itis. Been there, done that-itis. 
When I suffer from that, it's when I only look out what's in it for me. And I, and I stop, and I don't even think about the Christian influence I could have on someone else. Just the presence I might have. The presence of somebody sitting next to you today might have an effect. You may have an effect on them. When you have this, been there, done that itis, here's what happens. Cynicism begins to harden your heart. And when that happens, the first thoughts on any initiative or activity is, here we go again, we've done that before, don't they know it'll never work here? Why am I wasting my time and effort? You know, those were my initial thoughts when I went to that negotiation training class. When you have cynicism of your heart, your words become negative. Your actions are negative, and you speak with negative energy. I'm going to go to Paul. He tells us what about that in Philippians 2, 1 through 4. Therefore, if any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from his love, if any common sharing in the Spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and one mind. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves. In humility, value others above yourself. You know, a remedy for that might be, I need to be open to ideas, new ideas. Maybe regain my curiosity. Maybe be open to learning something new. Although I believe I have a better way to navigate than my wife, Nancy, Perhaps her way just might be a better way. After all, it might get us to the same place anyways. And certainly, most certainly, I could learn some new negotiation techniques that not only will benefit my business life, will benefit my personal life. When we have the cynicism of our heart, we have to ask God to soften our hearts. The only way I know how to do that, church, is I go find outreach or mission to plug into. Because when you're thinking about the other guy and you're going out and serving the other one, you take the attention off yourself. And your heart will begin to soften. I guarantee you that. And then I need to learn to trust again. And most importantly, I need to remind myself that God loves me just the way I am. I offer that before we truly speak with humility, we must learn to live in humility. Your actions will speak louder than your words. Because now we begin to lead and love with the heart of Jesus. And that's where we go to the second commandment where he's saying that common ground we build is focused on loving our neighbor more, being a little more concerned about their well-being, not just ours only. So I ask you this. Why value a person less because they look, because they think, because they eat, because they live, because they worship differently than you? You know, maybe I need to get to know that person first and hear their story. Maybe I need to show them grace first and then let God show them truth. Because if I only show them truth and don't show them grace, what good is it? That common ground that Jesus spoke about was working together to lift the poor, reach the lost, love the least, free the captives, and remember those who'd been left behind. And the lyrics of a popular song remind me of that. And last week at 11 o'clock we sang it and I was in the back with my arms raised up because it's about transforming the world and it goes like this. We will work with each other. We will work side by side. 
We are one in the Spirit. We are one in the Lord. And we pray that our unity will one day be restored. And they'll know we are Christians by our love, by our love. So if you're still with me, you're probably wondering, did I wash out of that negotiations boot camp? I'm here. I survived. I completed the training. Humbler. I think I'm a little better negotiator. But I'm quite happy because on that third day is when I call the real negotiation started, where I began to use my new learnings and my past experiences. The training module for that day was negotiating as a team versus another team, but utilizing more relational aspects. Each team had their scripted details that the other side didn't have, lots of moving parts, lots of details, lots of players, endless outcomes for the negotiation. As our team was preparing, we were laying out our outline for what-if scenarios. I shared with our team, this is where negotiation starts. Because now we have to put ourselves in the other team's position and anticipate what outcomes they may want. Let's put on their shoes and walk a mile in them, so to speak. This will reveal to us what they want. Let's lead in with questions, not standard assumptions and talking points. Let's make it a little more personal. As we led in with questions, wanting to find out what was more important, we soon found out that both teams had a bit more in common that the module had revealed. As we negotiated further, we started with questions asking, what's important to you? What if we did this? How does that help you? And if we did this, will you be willing to do this for us? The other side told us what was important because we asked in a non-confrontational way. The negotiation became so much richer because we worked to find some common ground. And here's the best part. When we hit a stalemate, we went back with creative thought process on how to enhance the size of the pie. Instead of limiting the size of the pie and one team taking a disproportionate piece. Church, the world wants confrontation. The world wants winners and losers. The world wants it only to be your way, or my way, or the highway. The world only wants sound bites and headlines that are so sensational they numb you so you don't think anymore, so you don't care anymore. You don't even ask questions anymore, why, who, and how. The world doesn't want God to be in the picture, but the world so desperately needs to hear the voice and words of God. We as Christians have to show the world there's a better way, the way of Jesus, the third way. When we do that, the good Lord will remind us that we can speak in humility. This is where we practice self-control in what we say and how we say it. And this is where we start leading with the words guided by the Holy Spirit. See, Jesus, Jesus gave us insight in John 14, 16 through 17. He's telling us that we can learn to hear and whisper the inner thoughts of the Holy Spirit for guidance on when to say something and how to say something. Then we start learning to speak with grace, with love, with mercy, with peace, with compassion, and with truth. The words of the Holy Spirit will guide us to carry out what Jesus commissioned us and the disciples. Matthew 28, 19, Therefore go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. He said in Mark 16, 
15, he said to them, go out into the world and proclaim the good news to all of creation. It's why each of you is sitting here today. Somebody somewhere, somehow, proclaimed the good news to you. Somebody somewhere, somehow, showed you the next step in your walk in discipleship. Why not share that same good news with someone else? Church, it's our privilege to share our story so we can plant seeds of faith. But I'm going to take some pressure off of all of us. That's all God wants us to do because he said he'd do the rest for us. Mind, soul, and heart. The noise of everything going on in our church, in our Methodist, in the world, in our everything, politics, whatever, it's not going away. It's always going to be there. It'll never change. And we don't know what tomorrow's going to bring, but I've got to believe that the Lord and Savior instilled in us the two greatest commandments and wants us to lead out into the world, proclaiming the good news and making disciples for such a time as this. And it starts with love for God and no other God and receiving that love, that grace that he gives freely and then loving our neighbor. And when those words begin to soften our hearts, we begin to understand what Isabel read earlier on Ephesians 4, 1 through 3. I urge you to live a life worthy. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient and bearing with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. If you bow our heads, I'll close us in prayer. God, creator of us all, we're in awe of how you manage to somehow make things work for your purpose. We hope and pray for unity in the spirit in your most holy way, not our way. Use us or move us aside. The world needs to hear your words. If your will is for us to share these words, let them be spoken with humility through your wisdom, through the love of Jesus Christ, through the guidance of the Holy Spirit. And Lord, encourage us to continue to proclaim the good news. And if, you, if we have to, we'll use words. Amen.